Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Senator Edward Kennedy is an iconic figure in American politics, the son of an American political dynasty that was rocked by fame and tragedy. Compared to his brothers Bobby Kennedy and President John F. Kennedy, Ted was considered a lightweight who rode their coattails into the Senate in 1962 at the age of 30. But following the assassinations of his brothers, Ted Kennedy became the leading voice of American liberalism, championing civil rights, voting rights, and anti-war policies. But his moral authority and his presidential ambitions were seriously damaged by his involvement in a fatal car accident on Chappaquiddick Island. Here to talk about the legacy and impact of Ted Kennedy is Neil Gabler, the author of a two-volume biography of the late Massachusetts senator. The first volume has just been published, entitled Catching the Wind, Edward Kennedy and the Liberal Hour, 1932-1975. to Neil Gabler, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you very much. I feel very welcome. Well, the Kennedys and Edward Kennedy are some of the most studied and storied uh, people in American politics, in American history. What led you to want to take on a, a detailed history of the late Senator Ted Kennedy? Well, David, I, you know, I usually do not begin a book by fastening on a subject. Um, I usually begin a book by fastening on a question. And then I find a subject that enables me to examine that question and to use the life almost metaphorically. Uh, and in this case, the question that I was asking myself was the question really that is, is the essential question of American politics of the last 50 or 60 years, which is what happened to American liberalism. And how did we get from a society in which liberalism was the prevailing ideology to one in which conservatism was the prevailing ideology. And though I'm not the first person, I'm only about the five millionth to study this question, I thought an interesting approach to it would be to take America's preeminent liberal in that period, who was Edward Kennedy, and to examine his life and to tell a dual story, which is the story of Edward Kennedy. And it's a great story. It's a very dramatic story. I mean, it's, it's Shakespearean in its dimensions. Although, as I say in the book, it also has its tabloid dimensions as well. Uh, but to take that life and examine him and use him to examine the story of American liberalism and, and its alleged decline. So that's how I came to, to Edward Kennedy. Well, let's talk about uh, Edward Kennedy. Uh, and he died in 2009 at the age of 77. You note that he was the least of the Kennedys and the last born and least of the Kennedys. Why do you say that about Ted Kennedy? Well, first of all, he believed that himself. I mean, the last born was a factual thing. The least is, a, uh, is not a factual thing. But, um, you know, he believed that he was the least of the Kennedys. And he was always comparing himself to his brothers, not the only one who compared himself to his brothers. Virtually everyone did. But he felt he never really uh, lived up to the, the model that they had set, to the example they had set. But he was also the least of the Kennedys uh, within the family itself. Uh, the family regarded him as, uh, you know, kind of the, the family jester. He was an afterthought, literally an afterthought, because Joe and Rose thought that their child-rearing days were over. And then here are the clear blue sky, 
comes Ted. Um, they'd named their yacht. I always love this little detail. They'd named their yacht the Ten of Us because they never thought there would be an 11th of them. <laughs> but there he was. And, and Ted was, as I say, not only a literal afterthought, but he became a kind of figurative afterthought as well. Um, little was expected of him within the family. Uh, he was, as I say, the jester, the guy whose job it was. Everybody in the Kennedy family basically had a job, had a function within the family. The family was like a working unit. And his function was to be the one who jollied everybody up and who entertained everybody. And that is indeed what he did. But it wasn't a function that necessarily led one to uh, see oneself in, in basically high esteem or hold oneself in high esteem. Um, so he saw himself as the least and he seemed to fulfill that uh, for a good portion of his young life. Um, he was a poor student. Uh, he was he, he somebody got, who, he got uh, he, he, he attended Harvard and was kicked out uh, or suspended. He was, kicked, he was kicked. Well, there he was certainly kind of confirmed the idea of being the least because he was suspended as a freshman for having a classmate take a Spanish exam for him. Uh, the reason being that he wasn't a particularly good student, but also the thing he did care about most of all was playing football. And uh, if he didn't make a grade in Spanish, he wouldn't be allowed to play football. And that was his social uh, network was football. Uh, his, his, the group of people uh, there were largely Irish Catholic as Ted was. Um, so, you know, he, he, he was absolutely fixated on football, not on study, and he got thrown out of Harvard. And that was one of many things that, you know, where Ted Kennedy seemed to transgress. There's a story I, I love where, um, I, th I think it's Rose who says this, um, says of John, you know, John could fall into a mud puddle in a white suit and he would, you know, emerge immaculate. But Teddy, no, you, Teddy, cannot do that. You will always be, you know, dirty. You will always be caught. Um, he wasn't charmed in that sense. And indeed, when you look at his life, uh, it, was a, it, it was an accurate prediction. Uh, I mean, no matter what happened to Ted Kennedy, Ted Kennedy almost always seemed to get caught. I mean, whether it was speeding while he was at the University of Virginia Law School and a policeman, you know, uh, caught him doing that, or, or later, obviously, Chappaquiddick. Um, there were always, there was always some instance in which Ted Kennedy would be caught, um, but he couldn't, he could not emerge unscathed. So, well, first, let's acknowledge that he, he did accomplish, he did achieve what was seen as a real long shot, which was getting elected to the U.S. Senate in 1962, having never held any elected office. He was a, a lowly assistant DA in Boston. Right. Uh, and uh, he famously was debating in the Democratic primary. He was running against the Attorney General of Massachusetts, Ed McCormick, also from a storied Massachusetts political dynasty. And uh, McCormick, there's a photo you have in your book that is famous in which McCormick is pointing directly at Kennedy in a debate and is quoted as saying, uh, he, he notes, uh, if he says, if your last name was Moore, which was Ted Kennedy's middle name, if your last name was Moore, your candidacy would be a joke. Um, how did Kennedy overcome being a joke in the early 60s and get elected to the U.S. Senate? 
Well, first he got elected to the U.S. Senate before he he arose from being a joke, because you know the election was um, he 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 beat McCormick partly because he was a Kennedy and his brother was president of the United States, but not entirely by that, because as you point out, uh, you know Ed McCormick was the nephew of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, where at that time he was Majority Leader uh, John McCormick, but he he got elected because he worked so darn hard. There are many things can be said about Ted Kennedy, and he would be the first to to admit to many of his own failings. But one thing no one ever said about Ted Kennedy was that he didn't work hard. He was a workhorse. And during that campaign, he would get up at five o'clock in the morning and he would work, you know, until and campaign until 11 o'clock at night, virtually taking no time off whatsoever. He worked, he worked, he worked, he worked. He didn't rest on his name or his laurels. There were no laurels to rest on. Um, so, and it, but he didn't rest on his name either. So that was his his election was largely the result, yes, of his name. I don't want to you know uh, deny that or minimize that, but of how hard he worked and of how good he was at it. He was a natural politician, in a sense that neither uh, John nor Bobby were natural politicians. He had a, a sense of retail politics, and his older brothers abhorred that, abhorred the retail politics. But he had a sense of retail politics, of, of glad-handing, of, of mixing with people, of, of enjoying people. That was infectious. Now, that's how he got elected. But how he rose over the, um, the, the kind of denigration of him, and, and he was denigrated from the time he entered the Senate, he was barely 30 years old, which was the, the youngest age at which one could enter the Senate. Most of his fellow senators thought that he got there because he was the president's brother, which was largely true. Most of them thought that he would be a show horse rather, rather than a workhorse, that he'd get by with the minimum. But Ted astounded them by working extremely hard in the Senate, just as he did when he was running for the Senate. Um, he didn't want to be a show horse. He wanted to be a workhorse. So that was one of the things that um, raised him in the estimation of his fellow senators, how hard he worked. But the other thing was that having been the, the deferential jester, as I said earlier, in his own family, he took that talent, if you want to call it, his mother called it, a, he had a ninth child's talent, which was the talent of kind of, you know, making everybody feel good. But he took that ninth child's talent to the Senate, where his deference and his willingness to make people feel good was an enormous boon to his effectiveness. Simply put, people liked Ted Kennedy, and that included his Senate elders, who just felt that unlike, you know, uh, Bobby Kennedy, when Bobby later came to the Senate, in 19, you know, in 1965, uh, whom almost everyone in the Senate absolutely despised, um, you know, Ted was just a sweet guy and a guy who respected them, respected the office of the Senate and respected the institution of the Senate. Well, let's cut to uh, the incident that will forever be part of the Ted Kennedy story. Uh, and that is, of course, the, in July 1969, 
Ted Kennedy is in a car crash on Chappaquiddick Island off Martha's Vineyard that results in the death of Mary Jo Kopechny, a young aide who worked on Bobby Kennedy's presidential campaign. Um, talk about, first of all, what do we, there was lots of speculation over the years that Ted Kennedy was having an affair with Mary Jo Kopechny and was trying to cover it up. So first, you know, what is what truth is there to that? And how did Chappaquiddick affect Ted Kennedy and the trajectory of his career? And also, David, how it affected American politics. We'll get to that in a moment, because it wasn't just Ted Kennedy's career, but it really changed in many ways the, the whole way in which American politics functioned. It was a, it was a signal event in that, in that sense. But let's get back to um, the details of, of Chappaquiddick. You know, Chappaquiddick is one of the most misunderstood and misreported uh, incidents in American political history, in my, in my estimation. Uh, you know, we, we can't sit here because it would take, you know, five broadcasts at least uh, to, to litigate the entire Chappaquiddick event. But let me just say that um, the idea that Ted Kennedy and Mary Jo Kopechny were having an affair uh, is an insult to Mary Jo Kopechny and impugns her reputation. Uh, it is also flatly dead wrong. Anyone who knew Mary Jo Kopechny, and for that matter, anybody who knew Ted Kennedy, uh, knows that that's just you know idiotic. Uh, Ted Kennedy scarcely knew her. Uh, Ted Kennedy would never, never have had, and this I think you don't even have to know that much about Ted Kennedy, would never have tried to have an affair and compromise someone who had worked for his brother. Ted Kennedy worshiped Bobby Kennedy. Ted Kennedy lived for Bobby Kennedy. Ted Kennedy lived to live out the legacy of Bobby Kennedy. So the last thing he was going to do would be to sully that with something you know, sordid in this way. But again, it, it, it not only reflects on Ted Kennedy, it reflects on Mary Jo Kopechny, who was as straight and arrow, a very devout Catholic, as devout as you could be. So I think that's, that's nonsense. Um, also nonsense, to be, to be perfectly honest about it, is this idea that there was some conspiracy shrouding Chappaquiddick, uh, or that the minor discrepancies, and they really are minor discrepancies if you examine the record closely, and you know, I, I examined this record about as closely as one could possibly examine it. And I've read the, the some dozen plus books with great care and detail that have been written about this incident. Uh, the, the idea that, um, you know, Ted Kennedy conspired somehow, well, what's the conspiracy? Uh, you know, Ted Kennedy, if it was a conspiracy, let me tell you, it was a pretty lousy one. Because in, in the final analysis, you know, it, it didn't help him in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. So he was a terrible conspirator, as, as were obviously his co-conspirators. Well, let's, um, let's talk about the way that it affected American politics and who Ted Kennedy was in the summer of 1969 and what people thought he was likely to go on to do. You know, Ted Kennedy was the legatee of the uh, of the Kennedy family, uh, you know, inheritance. And the idea was, you know, I remember Richard Nixon had been in in the presidency, you know, uh, scarcely, you know, seven months. 
And uh, the idea, I think everyone felt, including, I might add, Richard Nixon, that Ted Kennedy was going to be the Democratic nominee for the presidency in 1972, and that he'd have a pretty fair shot at winning the presidency because he was riding the, the enormous affection for his brothers. Um, he, he, after Bobby was, was assassinated, he gave a speech in Worcester, Mass., which is called the Fallen Standard speech, where he says, I'm going to pick up now the fallen standard of my brothers. And, and there was the, the sense that he would pick up that fallen standard, carry that legacy forward, and that he would be president of the United States. So Chappaquiddick, in, a, in, a, in almost the narrowest political sense, uh, because as I say, I think there's a larger political sense, Chappaquiddick cost Ted Kennedy the, the chance of being president of the United States. Uh, now, in the now, larger sense, yeah, go on, David, I'm sorry. So why do you say that? What was the impact in American society? What was believed about Chappaquiddick that would have disqualified him to run against Nixon, who was deeply embroiled in the Vietnam War, you know, going into the 1972 presidential election? That's a very good question. And, and it's a question that I don't know that has ever been satisfactorily answered because, you know, Ted Kennedy had a car accident. There is no evidence whatsoever that he was driving drunk. Um, there's no evidence, although there are a thousand Rube Goldbergian theories about how this was some sort of nefarious scheme, um, but there is no evidence whatsoever to indicate that there was anything other than what it was. This is an Occam's razor, you know, event. <laughs> what you saw was what you got. Ted Kennedy was driving off with Mary Jo Kopechny, allegedly to go to back to the mainland from Chappaquiddick Island. Uh, whether they believe that or not, you know, is, is almost irrelevant because he had a car accident. He didn't murder her. He had a car accident. He said he had a car accident. You know, he, he behaved badly afterwards by his own admission, and by everyone's kind of analysis, by which I mean that he did not report the accident for 10 hours. Now, uh, the, the, most, the least charitable uh, analysis of that, uh, and one that the media immediately leapt upon, was that he was doing this somehow to protect himself. Uh, protect himself how? I mean, the idea was going to get out. I mean, it wasn't as if there was some great conspiracy to conceal it. Uh, no, his car had a had a body of a woman in it, and no one was going to find that out. Of course, everybody was going to find it out. What Ted Kennedy said, again, in an Occam's razor moment, you know, it seems to me absolutely plausible. What he said was, as to why he didn't report the accident, which, again, is inexcusable. He said that about himself, and anybody would, I think, make that judgment. It's inexcusable. But what he said was, I didn't want to pick up the phone and have to call the Kopechnys and tell them that their daughter was dead. It was not a moment of courage, but it's perfectly plausible. It's a perfectly plausible moment. But the assumption to your question and to your point is Ted Kennedy must have been having some sort of uh, affair with Mary Jo Kopechny, or Ted Kennedy must have been drinking, or in the aftermath, Ted Kennedy must have been trying to concoct some story that would save him. Although the story he concocted virtually, you know, 10 hours after this um, was a story that in no way reflected well on him. 
Not at all. In no way exculpated him. Not at all. So again, if you're if you're hatching a conspiracy or trying to tell a, a, a story that's going to be some sort of alibi, you certainly would have been done a better job than that. Um, but so, let's talk about when Ted Kennedy. Um, and if you're just joining us, uh, we're speaking with author Neil Gabler. His newest book is Catching the Wind: uh, Edward Kennedy and the Liberal Hour. Uh, and it is a biography of Kennedy up until 1975. But I do want to push beyond that time frame because Kennedy, of well, course, there's a, does, there is does, a second volume, David, as you know, well, it's we'll, coming out next year. We'll preview <laughs> that. Uh, we'll preview that. Okay. So Kennedy does not take on Nixon in 1972. Uh, that uh, task falls to George McGovern and ends in one of the greatest political landslides uh, for Nixon in history, only to uh, have Nixon resigned a year and a half later. Um, but Kennedy does ultimately run for president, not really when people would expect him to. And that's in 1980 against Jimmy Carter in a primary. Um, Why did that happen? Why did he take on a sitting Democratic president? Well, there are lots of uh, reasons for it in in the one is that, uh, you know, he thought he would win and the Democratic Party thought Carter would lose. And there was tremendous pressure on Ted Kennedy to run because, again, I, I think the general the consensus among Democrats was Carter was going to be a one term president. And that at the time, the polling showed Ted Kennedy would not only defeat Carter easily in the primaries, uh, but that he would have a very good chance of being elected president. So that that's one reason. Another reason is is um, political for Kennedy. Um, Kennedy didn't like Jimmy Carter. And believe me, the feeling was mutual. Uh, these were two men who were very, very different. Very, very different. And uh, I mean, Kennedy saw Carter as sanctimonious and as illiberal. And for Kennedy to carry that fallen standard that I mentioned a few moments ago was to carry the Democratic Party as the engine for the dispossessed, the marginalized, the powerless. Uh, He felt, whether rightly or wrongly, he felt that Jimmy Carter was not that tribune. He was not the man to serve the dispossessed. He was basically, as Kennedy saw it, he was basically a, a Republican uh, in, in the Democratic Party. So there was that. And, um, you know, uh, ultimately, you know, Kennedy felt that um, he needed to save both the Democratic Party and the nation from, from Jimmy Carter. What um, do you think was Ted Kennedy's greatest achievement as a politician? That's a difficult question to answer, and I'll tell you why. Because Ted Kennedy sponsored, introduced, 2,500 pieces of legislation. Uh, I don't know that any tally has ever been kept, but I'm virtually certain that's more than any senator in the history of the Senate. He passed over 700 pieces of legislation. These were not all minor things. Usually when you look at the career of a senator, for example, we look at Joe Biden's career. He was in the Senate for a very long time. And we look at one you know, the 1994, uh, you know, Violence Against Women Act. Um, and we say, well, there's his signal achievement. It's, it's really one of his few achievements as a senator, but that's not to 
to uh, disparage Joe Biden. That's true of almost everybody in the Senate. And you're lucky if you have one piece of legislation. But David, Ted Kennedy had dozens of pieces of important legislation. The National Cancer Act, Meals on Wheels, the National Service Act, um, the, the uh, you know, HIPAA, COBRA, um, you know, CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program that insured children whose parents made too much money to gain health insurance from Medicaid. Um, you know, you can go on and on and on. It's, you know, there would not have been uh, Obamacare had it not been for Ted Kennedy paving the way since 1969, every single year, introducing uh, his National you know, Health Act. Um, so Ted Kennedy, as one person said, and I think it was Bob Schieffer at the time of CBS said, Ted Kennedy impacted more Americans than any president of the United States since, Frank, since Franklin Roosevelt. His fingerprints are on every single American's lives. Well, I want to ask about where the Kennedy legacy goes from he here. Uh, this year, Joe Kennedy III, who is the grandson of Bobby Kennedy, became the first Kennedy to lose a race in Massachusetts. He lost the Democratic primary for Senate to uh, the incumbent, Ed Markey. Where does the Kennedy, uh, who will be the next generation of Kennedys to enter politics and will it perhaps be women? It could be. Uh, you know, I, I think the Kennedys, you know, uh, now have a very difficult row to hoe. And, and that's because that fallen standard that Ted Kennedy carried as the preeminent liberal in America and the one who tried to, you know, promote liberal causes and liberal ideas um, at a time of enormous, you know, conservatism. The second volume of, of this biography is called Against the Wind, Edward Kennedy and the Rise of Conservatism. So the Kennedy brand clearly does not have the, uh, the shine that it had even when Ted Kennedy was working during the uh, Reagan and, and Bush administrations. Uh, you know, it's, it's lost that sheen. And um, I think, you know, whatever the Kennedy family does to try and pick up his fallen standard, as, as Joe Kennedy III did, you know, is going to have a, a difficult time because what the Kennedys represented uh, doesn't have the same purchase in American society as it had even, as I said, when Ted was fighting the, the liberal battle against the conservative tide. Are you saying that you think that the Kennedy era may have ended with this first loss of a Kennedy in Massachusetts? I think it's quite possible. I, of course, there are other Kennedys and it's a big family and there are other people. And there's also, it's not even dependent on them, but it's dependent on the national mood. And it's dependent on what, you know, where Americans want to go and where they want to take the country. Uh, if they want to take the country in the direction that John Robert and Ted Kennedy, you know, had led the country, which is in the direction of, you know, a big hearted, generous uh, country that, um, that serves those most in need, um, then the Kennedys may, you know, regain some kind of, uh, 
of glamour in this country uh, and power. Um, if the country leads in a different direction, they won't. I mean, the Kennedys are basically branded forever, you know, as a as a family that serves the disenfranchised and marginalized, the the voiceless and the powerless. Um, if the country doesn't want to give voice to the voiceless or power to the powerless, uh, then I, then the Kennedys really don't have any uh, any brand anymore, or, or their brand has been so tarnished that. Uh, they really have no future politically. Hmm. Well, Neil Gabler, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Neil Gabler is the author of a two-volume biography of the late Senator Edward Kennedy. The first volume have just has just come out. It's called Catching the Wind, Edward Kennedy and the Liberal Hour, 1932 to 1975. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all shows at vtdigger.org slash vermontconversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.